0: Hello and welcome back to the Thunder 6 podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I am going to be talking a little bit more on OKC's finish to the season, why it really is not that bad and the bright side to all of this. I'm going to be talking about the exit interviews we got from the morning. I'm going to be talking about some of the best quotables from that one, some of the highlights, And the talks of who will be competing in the Olympics and who is going to be in the free agency pool and kind of their comments on what free agency will be looking like. So just starting things out with the draft lottery, this is going to be the centerpiece of the podcast until we hit lottery day and truthfully until we hit draft day because that's when everything happens. Now there's going to be some play-in talk, that's a definite, there's going to be playoff talk, that's also a definite, but I think kind of hitting the target on a lot of these top prospects and hitting, you know, some of the Marks that the Thunder should be striving for this offseason is going to be very very big here and a lot of it comes down to how uh the ping pong balls rattle come lottery night but before that there is a pretty big date that you need to mark your calendars for and this isn't going to be televised to me to my knowledge this is more more or less just a coin flip they'll send it out in a statement by the NBA but they need to break the tiebreakers and there currently are two right now in the draft lottery and it's between us and the cavaliers for that fourth and fifth spot and a little bit further down the board you have this really nutty i think it's a three-way tie between the pelicans the kings and the chicago bulls to shake up who's gonna have eight nine and ten and then even further down you have at 11 and 12 the charlotte hornets and the san antonio spurs who both have the same record so Honestly, I don't know how they're going to do the three-way tie, but I can tell you for certain how it's going to work for the Thunder and the Cavs in addition to the Hornets and the San Antonio Spurs. Going to be just a quick coin flip, jog it down, and we're going to figure out where the Thunder are slotted. And it's going to be pretty big here because the difference between four and five, it's just like from three... To four. It's on paper, it looks like a tiny gap, but it really could mean all the difference here. So if you land the fourth best odds, if we win the tiebreaker, you're entering the lottery night with a 48.1% chance of cracking a top four pick. And the number one pick, eighth of the time, you're gonna end up with Kate Cunningham, 12.5%. But when you go down to five, say they lose it for whatever reason, it goes to 10.5. And for a top four pick, it takes a 6% hit, 42.1% is what you are going to be looking at. And from three to four, I believe the distance that was kind of given up the ground was also a one and a half for, um, well, actually, let me check this check this right, yeah, so there was a one and a half difference between three and four, because there's a 14% chance of that, but the big one was kind of in having a top four pick, because one through three, they share the same odds all around the board, but they have a 52.1% chance of a top four pick, so it gets shaved down yet again, and then also, you need to take into account kind of the flexibility these picks can have, so I've talked about it all the time, but the Rockets, they're the worst in the league. They can be one through five in this draft. If it's five, it's going to the Thunder. For number two, you can be one through six, three, one through seven, four, one through eight, and five, one through nine. I think that's even bigger because there's a slim chance you even get that very last pick. You know, getting the, the ninth odds with the fifth worst record in the league there's like a less than 1% chance of that happening. And even for the fourth pick getting the eighth spot, it's not that high of a chance. But once you start going into the territory of seven and six, that's when you get a lot of kind of clumping up in terms of the numbers here to where that is a very likely shot of where you would kind of fall down in terms of draft picks. So, you know, when you get to that, um, it's a little bit tougher. I actually have it pulled up here. So for the uh, the shot, let's say we're fourth, the biggest chance we have at a certain pick is going to be at number six, 27% shot at that. And if we lose the tiebreaker, it actually sets back a pick to seven, where over a quarter of the time, that's where you end up landing. You don't want to find yourself there because the top five, that is really where you want to be picking in this draft. Yes, I think Scotty Barnes has kind of flown onto people's radars and a lot of people actually have him valued over Jonathan Kuminga right now, which is pretty interesting. And there's other guys like James Booknight too. I don't know if he'd go that high in the draft, but he's been soaring up boards and that goes along with other players such as Davion Mitchell. So there's certain pieces that have been climbing up. So there is value at six and seven, but you don't even want to think about it really. I think right now this isn't a, you know, let's try to tack on a player and move on. You don't want to have pick seven and 18 because then you're going to be pretty much exactly where you were a year ago. And you kind of have to tank again almost. I don't know if that's necessarily possible because of SGA and his growth, because Dort and his growth. If Bays is on the team, which if there's no trades, of course he's going to be on the team. Chances are he also takes a big jump. And there's a lot of other kind of dominoes that will fall here. What happens to Poku? What happens to Maladone? Ty Jerome has been amazing. Do we retain Steve Luke in free agency and he becomes very good? Like, there's a lot of what-if scenarios here, and I just don't think that there's going to be a chance that the Thunder are in the very back end of the lottery again. Outside of a miracle where the, they just fly up the boards on lottery night, they're not enter- They're not. They're not going to be entering that thing in the bottom five next year. Uh, if SGA's healthy, there's no way it's happening because unless the, the they can't just get over the hump of no like stretch five because Horford's probably on his way out I don't think there's going to be an issue there I think Dort SGA and Bays are going to be enough to at least get some games and some ground covered to where you would be kind of encroaching on like the 30 wins and if everyone still stays on pace here I don't think every you know especially these bottom five teams are going to see much improvement even with you know one of these core guys I think the Pistons they have some pretty good assets to the point they can move up But I will say with the Houston Rockets and the Orlando Magic, it might take another year or two for them to start moving uh, upwards. The Thunder have a guy in SGA. They have someone in Dort and Bayes too. So I think it's a bit different there. But anyways, I mean, my point is, um, with those odds, it, it does really alter what perspective you would be looking at. Though there still is a pretty good shot at getting a top pick in the draft. And that's because you can look back you know to the previous two years we've done this new lottery system before in the little hinky era and just normal draft lottery systems you'd see the split of the um the number one overall pick odds kind of just gradual where the worst team i think had a 25% shot at getting the number one pick and working downwards it it just kind of shaves down 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 it's not really like that anymore with it being cut open so much to the highest only being 14% it leaves the door open for a lot of surprises and the biggest one comes from the Zion Williamson draft classes the first year they introduced it and it was crazy and it's not just the number one pick that kind of batted some eyebrows it was really picks one through four where people were absolutely shocked and there was only one out of those top four picks that were kind of expected to be there and it was the New York Knicks this was the Stephen A. Smith era where he, well, I guess it still is, but where he, you know, ranting about the Knicks was really the top news um, every single year with for Zingus and then, you know, they end up with R.J. Barrett in the draft class, whatever it may be. That was the biggest news there on them sliding to three. But the bigger deals were the Lakers, the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans. So we know the Pelicans got number one. Grizzlies they were at two and then the Lakers they fit in at four and then they I think traded just completely out of it um yeah I think they just traded completely out of it and they ended up selecting DeAndre Hunter there so yeah and then they then they moved him out to Atlanta but anyways here's the deal to start things out the Pelicans were projected to have the seventh pick that was their kind of spot um entering and then for the Grizzlies, right behind them with the 8th best odds, and they were on a tiebreaker, so they had to do a coin flip, and it ultimately really did not matter because of um, kind of things, how things shaped out, like 1 and 2. Obviously, a, a difference between J- John Morant and Zion's pretty huge, but I don't know, It just it goes to show you kind of the odds here. They both had a 6% shot, and then for the Lakers... They only had a 2% chance of getting the number one pick. They moved flying up. They were expected to have the 11th spot in the draft, and they were good to go. And for the other two teams that were expected to be very high in the Cavs and the Suns, they were fifth and sixth in this class. So it really fluctuates a bit. And then when you want to go to the latest one, this one wasn't as special, but there was kind of one that I wanted to pin down here. So the Timberwolves, the Warriors, and the Hornets rounded out the top three, but the Hornets, they were expected to have the eighth pick going in. They had a 6% shot of the number one pick, and they got out of there with LaMelo Ball, who I don't think he's going to win rookie of the year, but he has a pretty strong case leaning forward for maybe next year in a redraft, being the number one guy. And right below that with the Bulls, too, they end up getting Patrick Williams. They had a, they were seven, they were seventh in odds. Um, and they had a 7.5% shot of getting their picks. So it really can just move, really shift the tides a lot. And for example, you know, the fourth and fifth selections in this draft, um, are heading into lottery night where the Hawks and the Pistons and they went sixth and seventh. So the board can change for the better or the good. Uh, in a pretty big fashion so I don't think that you need to look at these odds and just assume that we are going to end up with six or seven because it's not the case I'm doing tankathon redrafts right now first roll I got the fifth pick from the rockets and then the seventh pick and then I'm gonna do it two more times and okay fifth and eighth that's two, that's really good, because you want to have a top five pick, obviously seven and eight, that's a little, little bit scary, that's not where you want to land, but you still can kind of rattle up on the top of the boards, just got a really bad one, they got seventh, and then boom, fourth try, Thunder get the first pick, now you only get one shot here, you can't just keep spamming on the tankathon thon button until you get what you want, but, a lot of things can change here. So you don't look at this as a loss. You could very well end up with Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, one of the one of the two Jaylins. Like all the doors are still open here. So yeah, the Thunder did lose a game, but it doesn't really matter because even though you have a 14% chance for the piston's sake or the magic's sake, I guess, they still can fall and the thunder can rise up. So I don't really think it's that big of a deal. It was kind of just venting out in the last episode. Pretty much everybody in the fan base was. But I don't really think you need to worry about the numbers anymore because it's set in stone. And when you talk about us compared with, or I guess paired with the Rockets pick, have the best shot in the whole entire draft this year. So keep your head up on that part. But the next thing I want to talk about is what we heard in the, Player interviews all throughout the day. And you heard it from everyone. Mark Mark Dagnall came in. You had SGA Dort. Even Al Horford showed up. I think he might have been the first person to talk. And I will say, I do not have media access to the uh Exit interviews. So I'm actually picking this from tweets and other sources, just so you know. But yeah, everyone was there but I think the biggest story was actually Mike Muscala, or at least that was the most eye-catching one, most memorable moment, and he was asked from Andrew Schlecht of Down to Dunk, uh, really like why he would, you know, why he wanted to stay in OKC and what OKC means to him, because shooting is kind of a high quality in this league, Playoff teams would probably be drooling to have him, whether it be as a rotational member or just a really, really good guy um, that you'd stick as like a third string center or something. The Lakers or Clippers would, would really want him like Clippers at Patrick Patterson. They could use a guy like Mike Muscala. But he said that he actually wanted to stay and he started tearing up just talking about the team and really just honing in on the opportunities that he's been granted And the culture that surrounds the franchise. Just things of that nature. And then also a little bit about the players too. But yeah, he said he doesn't really know what the future holds. But he does want to stay in OKC. And regardless of what happens, he always is going to be a fan of the Oklahoma City Thunder. But moving on to some of the other people that were mentioned I want to first start with Al Horford because honestly you could have just assumed he was on a vacation for three months pulling a Trevor Riza um, when he was just chilling in Miami and what do you know he wound up in Miami for the Miami Heat same actually went for Omer Yurt 7 he was just working out in Miami out of nowhere got a call and he's on the team now too but I guess he must have been staying in OKC, he was there for the exit interview, and he was just talking about how thankful he was for the team, he mentioned a little bit about the scenario we've kind of all become accustomed to, him getting pulled from play back in March, He talked about how SGA's injury really helped be a main motive in why he took the move early, but it was still planned, so really nothing new, like Adrian Wojnarowski broke it perfectly fine a couple months ago, but he was just backing that up, and then he was also asked about what the next step was for him, and if there was going to be like a trade on the horizon, and he said that's kind of going to be something that will need to be worked out with the team and the management, and... Uh, you know, a mutual agreement will be made. So, honestly, I just can't really see a reality where Al Horford's on the team next year. Like, I know his contract is absolutely terrible. Now that his first year out of the three for us are, is off the books, you still need to pay him, I think, $54 million across the next two seasons. So, it's very ugly, and he's turning 35 next season. So, there's almost no real value to that outside of a team desperate of a big man and some names that pop up are like the Boston Celtics for example they have been really just ah, I don't even know how to put it but they just have not been in harmony they haven't had a center that really meshes well with them I don't really know I I mean I don't watch them a ton but pinpointing the the issue there is kind of a hard result I know Marcus Smart kind of gets a lot of the blame there but I don't know. Like, they shifted out Daniel Tice. They brought in Luke Cornett to try to fix things. Robert Williams, Grant Williams. I don't know if there's any long term solutions there. Of course, Al Horford's nothing but a two year rental, but it might be what they need. Like, they're not going to get an asset out of the draft class. I wouldn't think free agency, they'd get any sort of amazing deal there. So they're on the table, quite frankly. And I think there are a couple other sleepers that should arise if there's going to be deal it would probably be during the trade act uh during the draft actually my bad but i yeah i don't think he's gonna be with us like if you're gonna sit out the final 30 games of the season to put in play moses brown and tony bradley who clearly i don't think you can have both of them on the roster for next year i don't think you can just bring him back like nothing happened like the media would be all over you for that and I don't know necessarily if the team would want to get in that direction like if you get Evan Mobley there's no chance Al Horford's gonna be in a uniform you probably have to buy him out like what the um, Hornets did with I think Nick Batum this year is such a bad contract that they had to gut out but they did it anyways because they just did not want to see him on the books anymore bring in some young pieces I'd assume that'd be the move trade number one buy out number two He's kind of in the sunset stages of his career. If he wants to be a leadership veteran, by all means. And Mark Dagnall was talking really highly about him as like, if there was any all-star that I wanted to coach first, it would have been him because of how he's improved, not just the teammates, but also Dagnall himself as a coach. So just talking really about his class. But anyways, I just don't think that, I just don't think it fits, but Yeah, so that was what Horford was talking about. For SGA, his main thing was about the foot injury, and he said he's felt a lot better than he has in the past month or two, so he's getting back up to 100%. And he said for the offseason, he's going to continue to try and get stronger and get more athletic, faster, conditioning-wise, and just try to work on his body. And he thinks that in terms of skills, he wants to improve on everything. I up giving a pretty good quote here of, I don't shoot 100% from the field. I don't shoot 100% from the free throw line. And I certainly don't shoot 100% from the three. So I've got a lot of improvement I need to do. No one's going to shoot that high. I think Tony Snell broke some sort of record this season for like a 50-50-90 or 50-50-100. And he didn't really play all that much this year. But you're never going to get anywhere close to that. But I guess it's just um, I don't know, almost a symbol of the work he wants to put in every single area of the game he wants to move forward on. And that's something that you want to hear from a player that you hope will be the cornerstone of the franchise or be one of the superstars that can lead you to an eventual trophy. But after him, you had Lou Dort his kind of deal was talking all over the place mentioned how he is really striving to be on an all-defensive team he said how every single day he saw everyone on the roster improving and that he is just going to continue to put in work and he loves competing really really hard and that's just his motive uh going into the offseason for Darius Baisley He talked about how over the offseason, he wants to get stronger and stay more consistent, build some better habits, said he didn't have a specific area he's working on, but his whole game needs work. I think the primary deal with him is shooting. Like He was a shooter in his rookie year. In the play, um, in the bubble, I guess you could say, because it wasn't play-ins, but in the bubble and then even against the Rockets like the three-point shot was his forte he could drive inside but you were looking at him as more of a catch-and-shoot threat he was not that this year for the OKC Thunder and you want to see that again because if he unlocks that you saw enough tape from the back end of this season to kind of decree He can play inside the basket. He has enough moves now. He probably needs to refine those, especially like the spins and the Euro steps he's doing to make sure he's a little bit more on balance. But he's been able to get to the line a ton off of those moves. And when he's not getting fouled, a lot of the time earlier, they weren't going in, but he's gotten a bit of a softer touch now. So he's moved really, really high up on the scale um, when it comes to slashing in. But the three-point line needs to get fixed up definitely will be working on that just as he will with everything else moving on to the rookies though in Poku and Maladone. Poku says he's going to take a couple weeks off and then get right back into training getting stronger and getting faster wants to fill out that frame I don't know what they have him listed as on the NBA website I remember at the start of the year though when I was breaking down draft tape It was around, like, 208 pounds. So, I'd say at a top end, maybe, like, 215 is where he's at. He's 7 feet tall. So, yeah, you'd probably want to put some muscle on him and see where he goes. Like, he doesn't have a lot of strength, but the length itself has made him such a threat. He's just able to go right around defenders. You couple that with the ability to just, pull like, bully them around. Oh, he would be an absolute monster. So... He has a lot of room he can uh, kind of fix, and he said that he learned a lot playing defense this year. For Maladone, his deal was consistency. This wasn't anything he talked about, but just a fun fact with him, he played the most minutes on the team this season. I think behind him was Baisley by about 50 minutes or so, but Maladon has stayed consistent all year long, hasn't had to deal with any injury bugs. Not really any COVID issues that I remember on the year. And he's just been a really steady piece. Ever since George Hill got his thumb injured, I believe it was his thumb, and was just done for us, he filled in as a starter and did a perfect job. Did it as a second rounder. First time we have seen that. I know in franchise history, maybe even NBA history, I don't want to 100% kind of pass that off, but definitely in franchise history, that's the first time we've seen it. And he's going to be able to move forward and potentially be like a really good six man or even the starting shooting guard for next year. Roby's kind of stick was about how he wants to guard all five positions, said he did it really this season under Dagnalt and that opportunity has really just let him blossom. Before this season started, I wouldn't have thought really anything of Isaiah Roby. Like there was tape on him, from when he was playing, I think for the OKC Blue after the original trade. It wasn't all that impressive though, I'm going to be honest. So he surprised me a lot and he just continued to looked really, really good. I mean, as a center, he works as a backup, but you need to be very, very kind of precise on where he's going to fill into rotations because he's never going to be able to bully out or defend an Ennis Cantor or someone who just gets rebounds all over the place. You need to put him against, you know, uh, a center who doesn't have that trait of getting 10 offensive rebounds in a game, you know? So you got to be pretty kind of clear when it comes to where you're going to fill him in, but he looked very good um, playing at the five in spurts, and even at the three and four, I thought he was very, very solid. Ty Jerome, When he was talking, his deal was also about the opportunities granted. Before the year, Phoenix really gave him a really, like, just a bad deal Um, when he was bouncing up and down from the G League, picked in the first round, just wasn't treated that amazing. Comes over here with the injury, and in the G League bubble, he was pretty good. He wasn't, like, the top of the team, though. I would say, but he was a positive impact, and then he just plugged right back in, had 15 points in like his first or second game, and he was just off and running. So, his big deal was range, and he says that he actually wants to keep moving farther and farther to try to have just Lillard range damn near. So, hopefully, that works out for him. He's already carved himself as one of the sharpshooters off the bench, and there's been a lot of uproar to actually include him as one of the bright young pieces the Thunder have moving forward he could be that I definitely think it hinges a lot around that shot and how he's able to fill out his passing game because he has looked pretty good there too Kenrich Williams has looked very good at everything and that was something that Mark Dagnall talked about and just how he's been a leader for the team and Kenrich really reciprocated those values saying that he's really grateful and blessed that the Thunder picked him up said it's been a rebuilding year but around the young guys it's really helped him be happy every single day said over the offseason that um this past one he was working a lot on shooting as well as defense definitely hit home on defense the shooting was the big one though i didn't have kendrick williams on the grid whatsoever before he suited up in a thunder jersey but damn uh he has been a very good sharpshooter staying at that level one of the better 3 and D pieces in the league, especially off of the bench. Very, um, very special. I think like in seasons before this, he would have been a luxury to have, but those were the guys that were kind of locked down on contracts. And then you move into players who don't really have that certainty. And Al Horford is one of them. He's under contract, but he's also kind of a big figure with the team anyway so that's why I moved him up on the boards but I'm gonna be rattling off a couple of other names and kind of what is going on with them so starting out with Tony Bradley he he was pretty good actually off the bench for the Thunder he was just like Moses Brown in the sense his job is to set a high ball screen sit right under the rim and just reap the benefits not as athletic though very good at boxing out, and that leads to some good offensive rebounding from him anyways. So he proved with the Thunder that he's going to be able to be a backup somewhere. That is for certain. This has been the best part of his career statistically with the Jazz and with the 76ers. He was playing like 16 minutes a game. I don't have it pulled up right now, but I can guarantee with the Thunder, it was higher than that, and the opportunities he was given were pretty high, like, just his involvement from the start of the play to the finish. He was there, like, all the time. So, he said that he loves it here with the OKC Thunder, but he does not know what the next move will be for him. That sounds like the most, like, generic 2K line, almost. If you ever played, like, the, I'm not going to say super old ones, but maybe, like, 2K12, 2K13 on the PS3 or the Xbox 360... You'd always see like just press conferences with quotes like that. Like, I don't know what's next for me or just like the random rumor mill stuff. That's what this was. So chances are he's gone. Moses Brown, though, technically he's on a three-year deal, but it's non-guaranteed. I think it's going to get picked up anyways. He's staying in OKC to work and he says he just wants to stay close to the team for that and develop here under their roof that's very big news and that's going to go under the radar here but staying in and just focusing on every little detail and the reason I say that is because he was just thrown out into the lion's den to start out with the thunder and with the blue it was kind of like that too but he clearly was above the competition there but he was just thrown in and had to learn as things went along and it was pretty obvious that he does have some bumps in his game right now, particularly when it comes down to, like, offensive goaltending. Defensively, he is really not that good at defending off of screens, especially when the point guard gets out around that free throw line. He's way too far back to make a play on the point guard, but then at that same time, he's leaving enough space for the guy who set the screen to sneak in and also... Convert. So he needs to find a happy medium there. I think that's something that will be touched up on too with him. But I think a refined Moses Brown would be a lot better than maybe what we are thinking because Moses Brown has not been really under a set organization. You know, the Trailblazers didn't provide it for him. He was on a two way contract and he was playing in the G League with the UCLA Bruins. He was starting but he wasn't like the star. He didn't look like a obvious five-star prospect with that roster. He put up decent averages, but the guy who was running the show was Jalen Hands. So he was never kind of a huge focal point. I think that's kind of the treatment he will receive in the summer. And with our training staff, I think you're going to see a lot more. Probably be surprised with the new look of Moses Brown. Sveed Luke is a player who I'll probably talk about again um, in the near future. But we don't know what's up with him. Like he has averaged, I think, 10.3 points since coming over from Detroit. And he hasn't just been a one-dimensional player. He was supposed to be just a catch-and-shoot piece like an Alex Abrines, but he has been so much more than that. He's been a three-level scorer and we need those, especially at the guard positions. And that's what he really stressed during the exit interviews that he was able to show not just that he was a shooter but he can also work in the mid-range and then also around the basket so he thinks his stock really spiked he's going to be restricted free agent for the thunder so they can match any offer but it's a business that's what he said so he might end up walking away says he loves being in oklahoma city but yeah future is uncertain 23 years old so I guess he does still fit that window I think he's going to be kind of like that that tough one that will make the Thunder really think about it for a good while they're going to know entering moratorium period in free agency whether they're going to keep him or not and I bet they're going to tell C. McKayluke that as well but yeah he'll be an interesting player to pan out because if you let him walk it's pretty obvious he does have a future and as a floor he's going to be a, a really good sharpshooter for a championship team so it would be kind of tough to swallow to see him walk but obviously depending on how we do in the draft if we're already super stacked at the two and three he may just need to get moved out because there are a lot of different pieces Josh Hall and Jalen Horde I didn't actually hear anything about free agency with them and I I don't expect them to get signed to, like, a full-year deal. I bet they fetch training camp offers from people. And I heard, I think from Horde, he'll be training in Miami. With Hall, I genuinely just do not know. But I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out. I think that Horde probably is as good as gone, even though I like him. Turning 23, I believe. I think he's still 22. But he's turning 23 soon. There's still some untapped potential there. I could see though, like if you pick him up, he kind of does fit the resume of a lot of different players we've had through this system where they're really gifted inside. But without a three point shot, it really just hurts you in terms of versatility and lineups. So you can't really have too many of those people on a roster. And honestly, I don't think it'd be a problem with how the guards would look. Like if it's Teo, Sfee, Roby, or Deck. Ah, I don't know about Dex Jumper right now, but with Roby, you could still have potential areas, but I just don't think Horde fits, and you can kind of tell with how he was played in the final stretch of the season that he'll probably be, at best, like a G League guy for us. I don't know if he'd get a deal, though, with our 15-man roster. Josh Hall's a little bit different, but... I do think that there's going to be some sort of interest from other areas. In terms of a two-way prospect, all 30 teams should be drooling all over. Scouts, for all teams, have probably looked at that 25-point game he had against the Clippers. So there will be tape, and with his backstory, how he's been injured all year long, then he comes in and looks really good around the basket. People might want him, and then also from three. And as I said in the last podcast, like the Charlotte Hornets... North Carolina kid. Why not try to pick him up? That'd be a great storyline. I don't know in terms of how it all works, though, like if he's restricted or not and and all that. But I think the Thunder should try to make a future with him because there is still some room with him because he's only 20 years old. But that kind of rounds things out. I mean, Charlie Brown was on the stand for what I would assume would be like five minutes. He was just talking about coming over if I was able to ask him a question, I just would have been like, you know, you had two 10 day contracts and only one day remaining. were you expecting to get a full-scale deal, a multi-year contract? I think that should have been a hit. Maybe it was, but man, I would have loved to hear a little bit more on how that decision was made for the franchise. But that was all we got from the exit interviews. Lasted about eight hours. so for everyone who waited and wrote down the quotes, thank you so much for those. But there is still some news that came out of that that I did not discuss. And it's going to come from what happens in the Olympics. And there are a couple of players who we don't have 100% clarity that they're going to be in the Olympics. But they've shown, shown some interest. And it starts with Gabriel Deck. He will be competing with Argentina. It will not be the first time he has done this. But that is going to be a big stage for us to see. That's where he got can scouts looking at him including the thunders due to how he was playing with argentina and then him transferring over to play for real madrid in the liga acb but outside of them you have two heavy hitters in SGA and sga in lou dort i believe dort is going to be on the team sga is planning on it but if the plantar fascia injury is still lingering he might pull out and say no you know that both of those two would be headlining that roster right now. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who is, I think, SGA's cousin, should be on that team, too. Canada's filling out pretty well. Um, they don't have Jamal Murray, sadly, though, due to, I think it was an ACL injury that he had, but there is still a lot of, um, a lot of different players um, surrounding that roster. I could go down the list. I don't have it right now, though. But I do know that it's not just SGA, NAW, and Dort. They got a lot of pieces developing in Canada. But there also is a guy developing in Alexei Pogashevsky. He might compete with Serbia, and that will be a gigantic deal to see him play just a little bit more um, against high level competition. We want to get every ounce of that with him heading over because he can make a statement. Playing in those games. That's how a lot of guys have been able to get in the forefront, just as I talked about with Gabrielle. So I really hope it happens. Hope he fills out his body. And there's a lot of hopes for this team heading forward. I'm going to be talking about those in the next coming weeks. I'll get you guys an episode probably tomorrow, if not the day after. I'm thinking Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I might target for dates that I upload, but that could be subject to change. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.